Okay, well, we're just having an informal conversation with uh, with Jerry Butchko. Did I pronounce your last name right? Almost, Butchko. Butchko, okay, thank you for correcting me. Um, and we are talking about basically some thinking work that um, Jerry's been doing, and he's created a diagram that we're going to talk about, but it's inspired by this article that's in chat here, an HBR article called Let's Be Realistic About Measurement. And this kind of... We've been sharing resources like this, but it's starting to come to coalesce a little bit thanks to Jerry's work. I've been getting questions since I started, especially when I go to Washington, D.C. Uh, I've been asking people this question. I asked it to Bruce. I know I asked it to Scott. I probably asked it to Kevin. Where do extension professionals find evidence-based practices? So, you know, for example, if you're uh, a funded project of the Robert Woods Johnson Foundation, somewhere along the line, you're filling out this beautiful template that's sharing the practice and the evidence behind it in a way to help spread it around. And where do we share those things as cooperative extension professionals? And I've received different answers, you know, like Joe comes up as usually number one or, um, the database at Penn State, and I asked you all in Slack or by email where you go to look for these practices. So then Jerry started to pull things together. And I'm interested in this conversation for a couple of reasons. One is to just deepen my own understanding about how things work. And number two, how might they work and how might extension play a role that might accelerate this um, you know, deepening or documenting of these practices and the spread of these sorts of practices that are evidence-based. That's, that's what our, you know, quote, competitors do. The nonprofit groups pick a, pick a flavor of approach, implement it at scale, with, supposedly with fidelity to their approach, and that's how they, um, you know, in a very narrow focus, and that's how they get money, right, to implement solutions to different sorts of social problems. Um, so anyway, that's why I'm curious about it. But before we... Um, kind of brainstorm from what Jerry put together, and thank you for putting the doc in there too. Um, Bruce and Scott and Kevin, in that order, can you guys just, uh, for people who might watch this later, um, who are you and why are you interested in this conversation? Well, I'm Bruce Haas. I am a evaluation specialist and reporting coordinator for Michigan State University Extension. Um, I just see this as a uh, something I'll die with trying to answer. So, uh, <laughs> what is evidence? And uh, and hopefully, I mean, we'll get into this, you know, because I do see it as a continuum. And then the other one, just interesting, you your evidence to me is in multiple places. So there's evidence about what we should be teaching. There's evidence of how we should teach, and then there's evidence of whether there's impact. And that there, so I want to be careful because already I was seeing the mixing of programming and impact. And so I, for me, usually the evidence, while they oftentimes it'd be nice they go together, just like research and outreach, but uh, it might be better to just not assume all that flows in a nice so, way. So those, those three dimensions, so Bruce, those three dimensions, like three flavors of evidence. What we're, what we're doing, how we're doing it, and the impact, the results of it? Right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and the so reason why, I mean, I've, I'll just do one more thing. I was hired as a consultant one time to go through programs for the clearinghouse for Penn State. And so then that's why I'm very sensitive to it because I could see there was a lot of times people were using evidence 
that was evidence of early on, but then what they would do with it, I thought was a misuse. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the passion. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Scott? Okay, uh, Scott Cummings. I'm head of organizational development for uh, Texas Extension, both uh, 1862 and 1890 programs. Um, I probably agree with Bruce. I'll probably uh, not be at my desk when this question is finally answered. Uh, <laughs> also, that he agreed, I'd like to get a copy of this. Yeah, no, you, we agree on a lot of stuff. So, but but you know, even sitting here <laughs> thinking and scanning over this article. And Chris, the comment you just made, I'm not going to use the term bothers me, but I think that's good. That's to, okay, term. No, we have to think a little different, I think, in, in some ways in extension, because evidence-based information is different for every stakeholder that we work with. There are some stakeholders that are not concerned about that. And, and let me give you an example of that. Our local stakeholders are more concerned with with our people on the ground, building relationships and helping people one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, solve personal problems, personal issues that, that happen. So I think there's a, not, not to say that all this stuff aggregated together isn't important at a state or a federal or with a grant organization, but these competing stakeholders and competing requirements um, cause problems. And then there's issues with evidence-based programming as be, kind of being the one-stop, one-size-fits-all that, you know, in a state like ours, you know, diabetes education is diabetes education. Water education ain't water education. I mean, it's very different in probably 20 different parts of the state. So mm -hmm. having a nonprofit that creates, you know, a nonprofit organization that might create a program on water conservation, that wouldn't fit well. And where Ke Kevin uh, said, you know, he's in California, that wouldn't fit well in California. It wouldn't fit well in some in some areas. Um, so I think we have to be careful that. Um, actually, looking at the the title of this article, let's be realistic about measuring impact. I'm not really sure that I see the let's be realistic about measuring impact completely through the entire article. But, you know, I think sometimes we get, we get caught up in impact, 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 and one, it might not be realistic, and two, it might not be what really what we're trying to do. So I think we have to be a little careful about, and, and the big question is, and Bruce, Bruce and I probably would agree on this, the de what's the definition of impact? Some people use impact and outcome interchangeably. I don't tend to do that, but. Some people flip them, like goals and objectives get flipped all the time. So I think we have to be really careful about what are we really talking about. So just so that we're all sharing the same word definition, unless you think this is going to be a half-hour discussion, can you put forward a definition of impact and a definition of outcome? Well, I'll, that I'll Bruce, tell you that, Bruce, I'll, that Bruce will agree to. Well, I'll, I'll give you the definition we use. We talk about outputs, outcomes, and impacts, and in that order, outputs, the, you know, the things produced by programs, participation, satisfaction, materials distributed, it's numbers. It's, it's, it's the bean counter approach to all the things we do. Then we, then we, look, we look at out, outcomes as those kind of five things that educational programs are capable of doing. Uh, changes in knowledge, attitude, skills, practice, and behavior. 
and then we look at impacts as the result of the results of those, the larger results of those changes in, in outcome. Um, and really look at them from an economic, social, or environmental approach. So in the hierarchy, it's outputs, outcomes, impacts, but some people flip those top two or they talk about them interchangeably. And that, that's, not, that's not how we look at them. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I, that's really how I view it as well. The other thing, and I like where you went to social conditions when you talked about the impacts, Scott. And, and so to me, it's thinking of like a meta-analysis is usually where an impact level is. And so then that's when I get nervous when I see really project level evidence, so to speak, that's driven up and called impact because uh, it oftentimes uh, is not strong enough to imply that it would actually have economic or natural, you know, environmental conditional changes. You know, what's interesting about this, we're actually, and I, I'm actually working on it on my other screen right now, we're actually proposing to the state to drop a major output measure we've had for 15 years and to replace that with a major outcome to impact measure. Um, but huh. the exact thing that Bruce just said will be in this proposal that this will have to be done at a regional and or state level that there are really no, shouldn't say no, but the chance of having measurable impact at the local level is pretty difficult to do. So we're th you know, it has to be aggregated up to the bigger. So. Mm -hmm. All right, so it sounds like we have agreement in the terms outputs, outcomes, impact, so that we don't mess ourselves up as we're talking here. Sound good? Not if you agree, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Kevin, can you introduce yourself and why you care about this conversation, and where are you exactly? I'm in uh, California at my father-in-law's house. Oh, okay. Came down to uh, pick up my spouse who was down here. <laughs> What is over the top of your head? That's what I was wondering. Oh, it's a, oh, it's a, it's a treadmill. Yeah, it is. It, it's just the angle. It looks very weird oh, from here, but now I can see it. So, I just was my battery is about to die, so I looked for a place with an open plug in a chair. So I found one and sat down. <laughs> uh, I'm retired. I worked for E Extension, and I retired from North Carolina State. Spent the last couple of years working with Chris at MSU Global on mostly uh, international things, but a few other things as well. Uh, so, so working with the Global Center for Food System Innovation. Uh, now I'm more retired and working just a quarter time with e-extension on issues around virtual workplace and working differently and working out loud and transparency and those kinds of things. Um, my interest in this was I was I I think that we sometimes the way we do programming we throttle our our impact we throttle our capability by trying to do things that are totally measurable and then so then we get into the complexity of how do you measure your impact when the problem is really complex but I think you know where we're wanting to go as a system is to be at the table at these bigger societal issues uh, related to our relevance and our importance and and what we do so. Uh, and I do think there's some opportunity here to think about the impact of the extension system on an aggregate level if we can all kind of get on the same page. So, so I guess my interest in this is mostly that I'm 
I'm interested in complex problems, ones that aren't as easy to predict a priori that this is going to be the outcome of what we do. Uh, if they're complex, you know, you do something and you poke it and you get a result that maybe isn't what's expected. So, and that's part of it is working on bigger problems. And the second part of that is um, uh, related to then, then how do you get at what was your contribution to looking at these bigger problems? And in this case, you know, we're not going to solve the problem. We're going to move it a ways and trying to measure that and in a way that makes sense to the people who fund us to say, like, we are making a difference here. So uh, that's pretty much my interest in it. So, um, you know, I'm an academic. These kinds of things these these are big questions and so they they're curious their curiosity to me and jerry and chris and i started having this discussion a little bit and it's led to this yeah so i'm glad that we could all get together and jerry thank you for you know spending some time putting your thoughts together i love the diagram that you did and uh, maybe you can just you know introduce yourself briefly and i gotta say you know your background this whole this all white thing is very kind of slick i think i'm gonna copy that look very slick looking. Yeah, it's a kind of a Scandinavian IKEA thing going on, or something. I like it. Something simple. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, my again, you know, this is kind of a, evolved out of this conversation in Slack, and in listening to you all approach this from your perspectives, is it's at a much higher uh, concrete level, you know, in terms of programs and, and 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 even with Kevin in terms of systems. And I guess I'm. I'm approaching this, my interest in this is as a practitioner. So what I, my association with, with extension is, is via the, the Military Families Learning Network project where I'm a practitioner consultant and uh, in the personal finance area. So in the people work that I do, a lot of it involves working with someone, trying to understand their, their, their conceptualization, their phenomenology about how the world is put together and how it makes sense. So these issues of, well, what constitutes evidence or how do you, how are you kind of approaching this, this topic that we're examining and, and how is it that you're, you're coming to conclusions about, you know, what's valid information to act on or not. So I'm coming at from, from that direction and it's, and I think some of that might be reflected in the diagram uh, as well. Um, but I'm very much coming at it from that perspective and, and from a, having a background in, in the social sciences, which tends to, I think, kind of, as we're biased, my starting place, which is, okay, um, what are we working with in terms of our own capacities uh, as human beings, right? Uh, both our, what our affordances and what our, our, our conscious mechanisms, our, our thought process allows, and also the limitations of that. So again, that's kind of reflected in the diagram. And again, it's, this might go in a totally different direction than where you're all prepared to start and go from, but that's kind of setting the stage. Thank you, Jerry. Why don't we start by sharing your diagram? Can you share your screen? Um, yeah, I should be able to. Here we go. I know this is the kind of conversation that if we were all co-located, we'd be like at Hopcat with a beer or... Uh, yeah, micro-brewed beer or a glass of wine or something like that. But. You know, I really That's think of this exactly as kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is kind of the conversations we used to have to have for work quite a bit. <laughs> well, late-night conversations in grad school used to be roaming around stuff like this uh, for me. Well, I find the beer does help. I just want to say. Yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, um, 
so I guess for those of you who can get into the document and wanted to kind of poke along as we're looking at this, um, I would recommend using the, um, the Zoom feature. And hopefully you can kind of see that I'm pointing at that and that allows you to kind of, you know, zoom in on certain areas. I had to really build out the page to begin to kind of capture all this. So um, I'll go through the process really quick to, to give you a sense of where, you know, how we got to here. So out of the conversation, we were having a Slack. We were touching upon various um, sort of notions, paradigms, ideas. Um, you know, there was the whole bit about you know evidence-based practice. Uh, for me, that made some connections. Like I said, coming from where I come from in terms of uh, decision-making uh, topics like uh, boundary rationality and how, how that uh, influences how someone goes about making sense of things uh, and coming to you know optimal or suboptimal. Uh, decisions based on available information. Um, some talks by um, Duncan Watts talks about, you know, kind of this, this critique of common sense thinking, as it were, what he refers to as common sense thinking, and where the limitations are of that as well. And Kevin came out of, uh, from the whole complexity side uh, of things about, well, what about phenomena that, um, you know, that we can't capture yet, that we don't have fully under our control and can predict, you know, how do you how do you then deal with that um, when you're not in a position simply to wait until the research comes in, you have to make a decision now. So all these things um, seem related to me. I and mean, we, we, you know, we talked about, you know, maybe there might be some value in trying to integrate the, these various perspectives into something that may be comprehensive. And so this is just kind of a pulling, uh, trying to exercise a little bit of content agility and grabbing some things from the internet that are related to these topics, these areas, pulling together in this kind of collage, and then from that, um, building something a bit more uh, coherent, hopefully. Following so far? Yeah, Jerry, can you zoom in on that so we can all uh, see first. it? Yeah. So I'll start here um, first, and uh, and just kind of narrate this a little bit. So this is a, this is a, a visual that I thought seemed to represent well kind of the, the common model that uh, people seem to be using, especially when you start talking about uh, evidence-based decision-making and basically overlapping sort of Venn diagram of, you know, well, how do we make our decisions? We look at the best available research evidence. Uh, we take a look at the resources that we have, um, you know, within the organization or within our network. We also look at and take into consideration um, factors related to the community population, characteristics, needs, et cetera, et cetera, in coming to a decision. So I thought it, for me, it captured well sort of this very basic high-level model of, well, how do we go about, you know, what are the factors and how do we go about uh, that, are, that are involved in decision-making? So well, let's get some, before we go on, let's just yeah. get some feedback on this starting point. So this shows concentric circles uh, in overlapping with decision-making being the focus inside of a bigger circle of context of the environment and the organization. You've got research evidence, um, the context of the community and its characteristics and its values, and then resources, which are kind of a boundary condition in some ways. And then there's the actual, you know, the process of decision-making. Uh, can we get some feedback from uh, Scott and from Bruce and from Kevin? How does this fit with your concept of how decisions are made? In terms of, I'm thinking these are programming decisions, right, Jerry? Well, I mean, yeah, I think it depends. 
See, I think it could be the programming dis the decisions, but again, I'm thinking that you know we're each kind of approaching this from a from a very different starting point, mm -hmm. right? So when I look at this as a as a practitioner trying to make a decision about okay, well, where do I go next with a with a particular client, right? Uh, on a particular issue, I might I would look at you know some of the research background. What have I learned? What's new out there uh, in terms of um, the latest research? You know, in this particular area. That might inform you know my next step i take into account the particular needs um, and circumstances of the client and i also might take a look at well you know who else do i know of that's a resource in this area within my professional community that i can also tap right all these things i put together in trying to make sense of well okay this decision i have to make about where to go next with the client these are things that go into the hopper that that lead me to that so that's where i'm seeing applicability coming at it from my my place in the scheme of things. Is the goal of the decision implied in that middle circle? So it's decision making for a purpose or for an intention to achieve something? I think, uh, well, I guess the way I would respond is that, that there's 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 always a something implied. I think there's always a goal implied. Okay. I'm trying to make a decision towards something. Okay. Mm -hmm. It wasn't explicit. I just wanted to make sure it was in, yeah. in that decision-making circle. Okay, Bruce, what what are your thoughts about this? Does this sound feel familiar? Well, I really like this. The the problems I'm having is I really would encourage us to stay away from the participant individual level because we're trying to use it at a social economic level, and decision making and evidence is so different. And I mean, these elements are true. I, I don't disagree with them. But, I, but I, at the same time, I mean, I smile going, I can show you farmers upon farmers where they have great evidence and they don't implement the practices. And there's a lot of good reasons. Everything from, it, I've always done it this way and it works. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. Another one, I don't have the resources. Fine. There's different reasons. So I, I, the other one is, is um, and I'm working with NIFA, or at least talking with them. It might be a better way to say that one. But this idea, we all have struggles, especially extension, talking about programs and projects, but then the word initiatives, because all this flows as we start moving towards a true impact, in my mind, is more on the initiative level. And that's why I was using it, the meta-analysis. But, but I, would, mm -hmm. I would prefer to have our conversations stay with the higher levels, even if it's applicable to at specific micro levels only because there's different issues. That'd be my response. And um, Kevin or Scott, you want to chime in? How does this How does this feel to you, and how you think of the way the decision making works? So, so I'll I'll throw. I I too don't disagree. You know, when I first looked at it, I was thinking, okay, is this is this from a program perspective? or an individual perspective, I would have a lot more issue at an individual level because of some of the things that, that Bruce just talked about. The, the, the one piece of this that that I think is inherent in here, but I'm not sure it, it appears to have the impact, maybe I shouldn't use that term, the influence on decision-making is, if I'm reading this right, Jerry, that overall circle around the circles where it's environment and organizational context. Um, I mean, I understand how that works, but I think there's a lot more environmental and organizational context that affects the decision-making than what might be shown here. Um, 
I mean, I understand it kind of encompasses everything, but I think there are some decisions we make solely on the environmental and organizational context, irregardless of resources, best available research or the population. So I think that, that, that influence on that center decision-making may be right or wrong, maybe not shown strong enough. And, and to provide some context here to, to loosen this up, this is a starting point, right? Yeah, no, I, this, no. is kind of, this is me starting with it and kind of doing a back of the napkin sketch about, okay, well, this is kind of what I see. And, and what you're doing is what I was kind of hoping would, would ultimately come out of this discussion about fleshing things out because I knew that you would, and Kevin would, you know, we would have different sort of appreciations of how this thing fits together and, and what else might be there. And so for me, you're kind of filling in an aspect, another facet of this, of kind of what else might be there that might be going on. You know, and the other word I want to throw into here, but I think it's, I think it's in the environmental com context and, and extension. I mean, this is a, this is a reality for extension is it, it's a political tool. I mean, it's a, there, there's a lot of political forces in extension and partly because of how we're set up, you know, with the state, federal, and local level, and they don't always, they don't always agree with each other. Uh, matter of fact, probably more than not, they don't agree with, with each other. Mm -hmm. And then there's political influences within the organizational context. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have major ones within our own system, just incredible um, political influences on what we do or what we don't do. So um, I think that that's a really, really strong factor, right or wrong, in, in the process. Can I give another reaction? And that is, you know, the more I look at this, I almost, in my mind, um, would do one of two things. And again, I'm brainstorming. So, and I'm not criticizing Jerry. So, I can appreciate when someone puts some things together and then go, now you guys react to it. I hate that process because oh, no, no, the reactors. So, and I assure you, I'm, I'm divesting myself of emotional investment in this. I, I really want to hear, I want you guys to kind of get in there and monkey with this. Well, actually, you just did what I was, where I was going, although I wouldn't put goal, I would say achieve objectives because goals again is loftier is is scott was talking about before but that is the center is what especially if in the context of evaluation and i think the context of the type of evidence we're talking about is we're trying to achieve something and that is the center and then the decisions play into that but i don't see the decision making as the center the other idea was to have the goal surrounding it but the more i thought about it, i kind of like it in the middle just a reaction. No, I don't know if it's Kevin or Scott that's kind of doodling already, but yeah, please go. That wasn't me, so. <gasps> oh, I didn't know we had control, Scott. You always ah, do. Ah, no, that, that's it's, me. It's not me. It's, it's not me at all. It's me. It's me. You guys can uh, Okay, it's Chris. And I, I would I not have put that in there because, because I think that a lot of what we do is there isn't research evidence to even begin to support some of the things we need to do if we're really working where we need to work. 
And so I think we have to do a lot of sense making and actually more research before we do some of these things because the way the academy is going is they aren't researching the kinds of problems that we work on in extension because uh, that's not the kind of stuff you get promotion and tenure for anymore, uh, kind of applied problem-solving kinds of things. Uh, so I, I, I think there's some steps that have to happen before we get to goal setting, and I think a lot of times the, the outcomes are not known. We're, we're perturbing and we're experimenting, but we're not necessarily uh, – we, we don't know enough to set a goal. And so I think sometimes when we set that goal too early – we're throttling what our impact might be. So yeah, I like that sense-making piece of that uh, because I don't think we have enough research evidence a lot of times to even be, before we even start. But you know, so Kevin, I agree with you on that. But you know, what I'm hearing and what something we talk about a lot kind of throws that argument in a little bit of a of a tumble because we're so research-based or try to be so research-based, we're also accused of being slow to respond in a world where people, others without our processes are responding a lot quicker, sometimes not correctly, but. I I think that's true, but I I think if we don't have that base data, then we, we really don't have the, capability to really know whether we're having an impact or not. No, I mean, you're right. That's just the, the dilemma we get caught in is uh, respond versus respond correctly. We're, we're actually agreeing. And I think that, that, yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that, that we we're too slow and that sometimes we've got to dive in at a level uh, before we have all of that. But then we've got to be sure we're collecting that data along the way. There's that tension there, and I think that was something that was kind of emerging out of our Slack conversation that I found it was finding interesting, right? Um, so I think if you're, if you're grounded in research and you have a research-based approach, I think research inherently is very modest about how far it reaches out next, right? It's like, okay, well, we, we think we're pretty sure, kind of, almost certainly about this. Well, maybe never certainly, but we've got our best guess is this. Okay, let's, let's reach for this. Right. So it's inherently slow. It's inherently cautious because uh, that's the nature of it, uh, of how it progresses. Um, but at the same time, it, what you were bringing up, Kevin, is, well, you know, what about, yeah, the stuff that's, you know, that that really is of interest of us to us out there in, in the earlier discussion about kind of defining, well, outcomes versus impact. A lot of people, I, the way I think of it is, well, I'm really interested in this impact. I'm really interested in making a change over here related to learning or efficacy. Right. But my ability to know in, you know, from a scientific standpoint to actually kind of measure and say, look, I can point right to this. I can measure it. I can stack it, put it in a table and show you, you know, how much learning has occurred. That at times gets beyond my reach, my empirical reach. So how do you, how do you progress and, and deal with this tension between, okay, we, we want to be research-based, we want to be methodical and, and grounded in research in our approach, but, but, but find some balance with that tension of, but we're really interested in getting like way over here and showing that we have impact. So how do you, how do you, how do you strike that balance? Well, is, is, uh, and what role does action research play as a solution there to bring some balance? You know, I think that, I think the way that we go about doing it 
um, makes a difference. I'm also, if we can, how do I get a blank screen on here? If you stop sharing, I think I can make a white, a white screen. I want to draw a different, slightly different picture. Yeah. Um, let me stop screen sharing if I can find my way back to our... So I'll refer to this top pedal, best available evidence or the sense-making iterations. Oh, and now that. go to a blank screen, I'll, I'll draw something. I'll do a duplicate slide. So let's do okay. a, like a slide three. And now I'll, okay. I can nuke everything from that third slide. Will that? Okay. I just need a white screen to draw. Okay, let's do that. Okay. I can just do clear, right? Yeah. Yep. Ooh, very good. Okay, cool. So let me see if I can I really do need a tablet, so but let me do my best here. Um, so now let me take a real live example from, uh, let's say, a, a, a core member. We have 126 people. Scott, you're one of the advisors for that, and Bruce, maybe you'll get involved in that too. And some of these people at the, the county level, not just the county, uh, that's too blanket of a statement. Some of these people that are in the core need a faster way to understand what's already known about the problem they're trying to solve. All right. So if they're trying to, I'll just take a simple one. If you're trying to create a new farmer's market, right now it's new to them. They've never done it before. And I understand you know, the way the system works is they find their specialist at their university and they find out what they know and they work with them to, you know, creation. And that's, that's great. That might be too slow. It might be that that person's really far away from that person. You know, I don't, who knows how well that works, but that's the way that it's supposed to work. And, you know, the Google's available to them and they can go to Joe and other places and look up what's possible. But it seems like they need some strong assistance because their job is to deliver the program, right? So, their job isn't to spend a lot of time designing the perfect program. So where can they go to quickly see what's already known? So if they're trying to solve the, trying to make a decision about solving this issue right here, that's their objective. Let me change that to an O, right? They have this objective they're trying to achieve. Where can they go to find all that's known already from the research or from other people's sense-making or case studies or models or whatever where do they go to find out hey there's one way there's another way there's another way there <laughs> oh my gosh there's six different ways i could possibly go based on my context you know it looks like you know this one is the best is the best route right where do they go to find those pathways that's the first question and then how do they choose Assuming they're not going to, you know, start from scratch and, and just reinvent the wheel over here, which is also a possibility, right? None of those apply, or maybe they don't have time to look. We're, we have some people in the core right now that are this, and they don't, they're not very well informed yet about what's already happened in other states, especially that where people have already solved at least parts of their problem that they can probably benefit from to save them time. What are your ideas about that? So this is from that decision-making part of the model with the sense-making circle and the evidence-based circle. Where do people go to get that evidence? Well, one is they got to do it in a, uh, a collective body and because I want to go back to where Scott was so long ago about stakeholders because you, you've got to have and ask many, many questions 
to kind of make sure that you're fitting the approach to the situation, the environment, the resources. So it's not like uh, a very simple process. And, and I would never want to make it a simple one. Mm -hmm. but you know, I feel like we've The other moved. one that's interesting is, is you started with, I want to, was it a farmer's market versus an impact? You know, um, in other words, if I wanted uh, healthy food in the community. Ah, no, there you go. Thank you. Why? But that is, that's, but what you did is what normally happens. I'm not dissing you. Right, either. right. Yeah. You know, is all of a sudden I want to do this. Well, that we can help you the best way to do that, but is that the thing you should be doing? <laughs> so that's that team thing that I was talking about, at least defending, uh, you know, what you're thinking and why you're thinking, but also bringing in all these elements that clearly will determine whether you're successful both in implementing and as well as having the impact that you want. So, uh -huh. so this, this is going to be a strange question, and, and don't take what I'm going to ask too far down the wrong path. But if we, with your question, your example, Chris, have we moved from an evaluation area to a program planning? Yes. Which, which I, I think I think we have. I think so too. Which really, I mean, I mean, we do both here, but for a person in the field, it's a whole different set of resources. Uh -huh. There might there might be evidence that an evaluator helped collect, but you know, what, one of the things we tell people in our own institution when we're working is, I'm not the subject matter expert. I I can't I can't guide those decisions on your intervention or your your educational approach we can guide how you can collect the data and do other things but it's it's really another set of resources that they have to have in place so they're i mean evaluations that is sort of like the sandwich in which this is being wrapped Right, you're pulling from existing results of evaluations and assessments and research to make decisions about programming. You're also deciding based on the impact you're trying to achieve or the outcome you're trying to achieve, how you're gonna go about the work to gather that um, that data, right? So well, you're the- yeah. There's components yeah. of it, but there still has to be, at some point in order, you know, one of the ways I've always tried to teach it is you got you got spot a where you're at you got spot c where you want to be and whether you start at spot c or spot a you can go different ways it's all that stuff in between that has to be done to get people from a to c there's still another set of resources that has to be pulled from to figure out that gap you know so somewhere if, it, if it's the if it is the um, farmer's market piece, I mean, if I, if somebody pulled me in, I would say, I don't know the least thing about implementing, setting up, running a farmer's market. I could help you determine if it was successful or not, but you've got to go find those people that have designed, implemented, and ran a farmer's market, you know, 
just an observation. Um, you know, as you're talking about this, one of the things I'm noticing, or at least I think I'm noticing, is that we're, we're, we're bouncing levels. So mm -hmm. we're talking about well, what's the frame that you're using to, to, to approach a certain objective or an issue, whatever it might be, or outcome. I think that there, there's the basis of a frame, and maybe going back to that Venn diagram about decision-making, that that basic frame can work all the way down. We're up from the meta down to the tactical, right, to the on the ground. Mm -hmm. At each level, it, it's a different facet of the of the issue or the topic that you're, you're trying to get at in, in terms of making a decision or, or figuring out next steps. I mean, again, this is just observation. Wow, good observation. So flip, flip back to your, um, the chart you were looking at earlier. Can I do that or do you do that? There you Sorry, go. I, I would add to that. The, when I get down to the micro level, I have more control of my decisions and impact on me as I move up the chain, I have very little control lots of times. And so that's, I mean, I agree the elements are all the same, but the dynamics are not. Call politics, probably. <laughs> right, and then and these, even though there are circles that are of equal size here, you know, with the, especially with the two I drew in earlier, mm -hmm. uh, they are not implemented with all equal, having equal weight, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, this is a nice sort of neat conceptual, right? Right. But, yeah. yeah. So, so my one of so one of my observations with the core is some people are not availing themselves of what appear to be existing evidence of, that could inform their decision making. It's, I don't know if it's because the evidence isn't there, or because they couldn't find it, or because it totally they they assessed it and they, it doesn't apply in their context. You know, I don't know. Well, again, I think we have a full array of even within extension. Am I talking about an educator? Am I talking about a specialist? You know, they're all going to be in different places, and they have different yeah. roles, of course. But mm -hmm. they play different pieces to this. And yes. So usually the educator uh, would say, even with a master's degree, which is mind-boggling to me, I still don't know how to do research or I don't know how to evaluate. Well, they got classes in statistics and in methodology and all the other above. So, but, it, but roles will play a big part of it. And that's, that has been some of the friction, I think, even here, where I can't get specialists to be evaluators. And I'm both a researcher and an evaluator. I understand they're different questions, but the methodologies are pretty damn similar. And mm -hmm. why we can't cross those lines is a little bit of where I was going with the complexities of these things. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely agree. And, you know, some of them aren't even at the master's level, so they really don't understand that process at all. And then the other piece that comes in at the local level is they're getting pulled every which direction you can get pulled. Um, and, they they never have time to be good at any one thing. They have to be okay at a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some of the things that, that I've seen just with, you know, some of the people in the core, they're at such they're at such a micro level in their own little cocoon county that that they just never see the big picture. They don't understand the big picture at all. Hmm. So, a touch point to this, just to kind of broaden this out, because this does hit on something, and this is the this is coming out of conversations I've had with various people, including Kevin, uh, within Netlit, 
around, you know, conditions that seem necessary or helpful to uh, creative or innovative communities. So this is all this stuff that I, and I don't know if you're still seeing the share or not, but yeah, um, we see it. Okay, so pulling together these 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 instances that we seem to be able to point to and say, well, this this group here seems to do that well. So Santa Fe community came up before. There's some links to some of their stuff. Uh, Building Twenty, uh, Bell Labs, these kinds of places where they where people have studied the kind of the innovation thing have kind of looked at them and said, okay, well, what are some of the common properties of these groups? And one of the things that we're talking about here was, well. What they are is a collection of people who are very specialized in their area, but they're all dumped together in, in what, you know, Santa Fe community calls the, the, the Santa Fe Institute calls an idea collider. So they provide the environment where these people who have, you know, very, very deep knowledge in their areas are then able to bump up against each other and begin to, to fill in their respective pictures about a particular issue. And, and I see, you know, potentially a parallel here where we're talking about with an extension or with an IC3, these, these groups where we have these resources of folks who are really, really good at, you know, they're, they're on the ground or whatever their, their place in this whole scheme is. And what, what we don't seem to yet have is a very good environment where we're able to get them together effectively so that they then can leverage you know, one another, we're, they're still sort of isolated little pods out there, you know, and they don't have that. Right. I agree. <laughs> well, but and Go ahead. this is another thing I think we have to keep in mind. And, and you know, Gary, you're, you've been working with the Military Families Network. I would say that community is a pretty high level community. Um, there's not... That's that to me is nowhere close to the equivalent of if we call the county in Texas a community, because it's it's much tighter. It's much more. It's all focused on one thing. You know, it's all focused on military families and their issues. However, take a let's let's take a let's take a community. Well, let's let's take where we have um, agents in a county in Texas, like Harris County, which is Houston and the surrounding area, four and a half million people, mm -hmm. it's real hard to find, it's real hard to get the cohesiveness in a community, if you want to take a community that big, um, because there's just so much going on and there's, you know, lots of different things. And I think that's some of the problems with, with our faculty that are not specialized like a like a military agent or in our case some agents like IPM agents or horde agents is that one minute they're answering x the next minute they're on y and the next hour they're completely in a different direction and i think it it really they struggle with that because you know in a in a state with extension like ours which is still very very grassroots extremely grassroots um our agents are generalists for the most part almost all of them 80 percent of them are complete generalists uh, they're not focused on they're focused on a lot of different things and again maybe not well but that's what they're that's what they're called upon to do in their local community oh chris i think you're still i think you're still muted oh sorry <laughs> thank you Scott, in that context, 
how does, in what ways does a local agent or local educator show their impact? Well, we, we typically like to see them focus on something, but, you know, because we are so grassroots driven, it's usually an issue at the local level. Now, a lot of times those roll up and they're, uh, you know, they're, um, they're able to be aggregated at a higher level. And in some cases it's multi-county or regional uh, issues. Uh, but, you know, we, we get caught in that struggle in a state like ours of the, the struggle between grassroots and top down. Mm-hmm. And our local people always buck top down but yet top downs where we get these, as you know, Bruce was talking, that's where we get these kind of big things that happen. So we have to kind of, we always have to figure out how do we balance grassroots versus top down? Where do we find, and I think we, you can, you got to find that sweet spot in the middle where people don't feel like they've lost the grassroots effort, but we're able to, to find common things to measure, to tell the bigger story or to inject the, reach the research-based information the, because, you know, as Bruce mentioned earlier, we got producers that do things because they've done them for 40 years and they work and they're successful. They make, they could be a lot more successful, but you know, they, you know, we have people in East Texas and never been out of East Texas. I mean, it's, you know, the reality is real. Mm-hmm. Bruce, is that a similar context at Michigan, Michigan state? Well, let me do some other reactions, and then uh, in some ways, yes and no. Um, one is, it's language, too, so I'm reacting to that. I would never expect an individual to have impact. I expect an individual to have outcomes. Yeah, that, and that's what we do. And, mm-hmm. and so, and then, but we're, but I expect that individual to contribute to a team and to initiatives in different directions. So to answer the question, these guys, meaning the educators belong to, like in agriculture, maybe an uh, animal uh, work team. That's fine. And so then they could talk about the impact collectively uh, in the state of Michigan. I think more is that level. Now, going a different direction, I do think collectively a county office when you put all your people together might also have a different kind of impact when you don't go down a certain vein but it in my mind it's still impact is a collective thing and it's over time and it's it's not even one it's not a program ever in my usually it's usually a series of programs with initiatives with everything from technical assistance to uh, information booths to whatever that is, mass media, social media. It goes on and on. So that's why, I mean, that's how impact in my mind goes. And uh, so it's a little bit of that language and level that we were talking about before. How much of that kind of evaluation are we doing? I mean, how much team level evaluation are we doing? I mean, most of what I see, it's the individual impact story writing, or we at least expect people to write those kinds of things. But it, it seems to me like most of that's done individually and not as teams. Am I wrong? Or Well, in Michigan, two things. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to tell you our plan and then I'll tell you the truth. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, the plan, we have 26 teams and I can give you logic models and I can give you indicators and audiences and all these elements of how they make decisions, evidence-based. So, 
they are designed to try to have, if you will, team impact. Now, in reality, you know, it's a whole array. Some do good, some do bad, you know. Uh, um, so that's why it's still, I, I think it's a constant battle of, um, it's everything when you're talking about tenure, for instance, you know, that's an individual level. So then I got to show my scholarship. And then if I'm part of a team, then I've got to argue that my contribution made this impact. You know, it goes on and on. So it's not a simple thing. <laughs> but we, it, we, by design, we are saying teams more than individuals. Uh, when, we, when I talk about the field and community impact, now if I talk about specialists, I would go down a different discussion. <laughs> go ahead, no, Chris, go ahead. Uh, no, just, I'm, I'm just thinking so if I had a beer right now I'd be drinking it <laughs> I might have gone to whiskey by now <laughs> you know I guess another contrast I'm observing too when you mentioned um, how you how you're seeing that the, the MFLing team that group that project group in contrast to what you're describing is kind of the more local um, framework that's another thing that, that is a strong contrast for me, right? So everyone that I'm working on uh, within that that network is coming from a different, is reaching into this project from a different locale, right? So they are, they're each embedded in whatever their local system is, um, but we don't, we don't exist and operate that way as a project. So the dynamics, it's, so it's interesting for me to start to put, to kind of appreciate that, that level to what's going on, at least, you know, where I have that, that engagement where I'm kind of like doing my thing in that, you know, my collaborators are having to manage both their local, their activities within that local frame, but at the same time, be able to kind of escape that local frame and find a way to kind of, to, to cross collaborate despite that sometimes because yeah, I do sense that there's sometimes there's that tension it's like well how do I do this because this is a different kind of context than where I'm coming from and I think that, that's that's one of the kind of the, the higher level sort of organizational issues around well how do you if if your local resources aren't to the point yet where they're as coalesced as you'd like them to be the different county offices and the different agents and you know just trying to get them to work with together on local issues I guess one possibility is, well, how is there a way if the local pet capacity is not there just yet where you want it to be, to be able to reach out across the broader institution and say, okay, well, who's worked on a problem like this, right? So it's kind of like reframing the problem a little bit. It's like, okay, well, it's not this particular grain in this particular area of this particular state with this particular you know, set of producers, but there's the outline of a of a broader problem that maybe have that may have been worked out elsewhere, or worked out on a, something similar from a different direction that I think could help, then supplement that local capacity. Well, Jerry, I really agree. I, actually, it goes back to Kevin's comment. There isn't enough evidence out there, and so then we have to do the process you just said. Is so if I can't get the information and evidence around my specific need, then I'm going to start relating to what's close to it. That's one statement. The other one is is going back to what Michigan does. We give permission to do. Uh, 
a logic model, as we all do, in talking about what is the research and evidence, and then what are you specifically doing, and then what are the baby steps or outputs, outcomes, and then what do you think, again, back to research, what do you think, if you were able to do these milestones, what possibly does the research suggest, would it lead to? And that's usually how we get around some of it. Not necessarily good research and uh, evaluation, but it is reality. And, and and the problem you described there, and this is kind of the this is kind of where I come from, is that we need to understand the kind of problem we're dealing with better. Uh, that problem you described, I don't know if you read that HBR article about it, like the the leader's guide to to the decision making or problem solving but but it's a it's a comp that's a complicated problem so if it if it it's a pattern recognition if this problem looks like this problem then we might use this solution for this uh, it's kind of like the example of using a a, a, a drug for an off-label use we've we, we have this drug here and we see this going on hey maybe it would work here that's way different than dealing with with a complex problem um, uh, you're, you're bringing that up? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, I'm bringing that up just real quick. I'll pop it into the chat, too, if you want to. And, so, and I think we throttle our uh, – this is back to our – I think we throttle our ability to have impacts by working on complicated problems where you can decide a priori this is what we hope will happen here because the really complex problems are so multifaceted that they're really hard to break apart and, and do that with. So Jerry, let me go back to, because I'm not sure I probably did a very good job of, of making my earlier comment. Let, let me use a different example of, of the point I think I was trying to make. Let, mm -hmm. Let's not use military families. I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with a program like integrated pest management. Um, in, in Texas, we, ha we have almost 600 agents across the state. <clears throat> We have a handful of them. I, I'm not sure the exact number, 30, maybe 45, that are that, that are extension agents dash integrated pest management. They are solely focused on research to practice in the area of pest management in all kinds of crops, depending on where. If they're in the panhandle of the state, it's usually cotton or corn. If they're in the other parts of the state, it might be rice or or cotton, it might be dry land versus irrigated, but, but they are solely focused on integrated pest management. In my mind, they're a lot like if, if we if we had today, which we don't have as many as we used to, extension agents slash military who, who lived and worked on base and did military programs for that population versus what might be just a county extension agent, ag and natural resources, who might be doing integrated pest management, mm -hmm. row crop production, beef cattle production, answering phone calls from household members on lawn and garden horticulture, mm -hmm. um, looking at bugs that people bring in, uh, might do some wildlife, small acreage landowner, new acreage landowner, you, you, you name it, drought, when drought's an issue. Those people, by definition, by their job structure, can't really do what we're talking about. They can be cool. They can have all kinds of stuff, but they have so much going on mm -hmm. 
or getting tugged and pulled versus that guy that's really, really focused. I'm an IPM agent. I'm a whore agent. W you know, whatever it is, or in some states that have gone to a regional agent specialty model, but the trade-off is the loss of local influence. So it, it's just the reality of how complex the system is. And it's much harder for those, maybe I should say that it's much easier for those that have a very much tighter focus mm -hmm. than those who don't by nature of what they're hired to do. Yeah, and I, I, I can kind of see that. I mean, I'm just, you know, as you're describing these different positions, I'm trying to imagine putting on that hat and having to go through a day, right? Oh, it, it, um, yeah. I mean, their jobs are very, very tough because of yeah. Yeah. Get. So, so if, okay, so I, I, you're making a connection. So we're talking about your, well, I'll refer to it as generalist, right? I have to kind of know a little bit about anything that someone might bring my way. Um, for me, that makes a connection back to a previous experience I had in, in the employee assistance field. So I've done the financial counselor thing for a long time. And before I went freelance, that's where I came out of. That's where I came up. And in that, in that environment, it was very, very similar. People would call in with a host of life issues um, and even within my more relatively more narrow domain of, of being a financial counselor there was still the expectation that I'd be able to kind of understand where these other areas uh, subject areas might overlap and also how to how to navigate that that discussion with the client and then be able to kind of either figure out how I get access to that service so that, I, that information that I don't have right here, but this person over here does, and work that in, or get them to that person. So that whatever their need might be, you know, for an answer or for a plan or, or for, you know, finding a local resource, that that objective is met, you know, that, that we identified. So for me, I, I'm kind of making that, you know, coming from that experience, I'm kind of making that connection here. So if I'm in a, and if I'm in a position where, you know, just anyone in my county might be able to come in my way with a bug or this issue or that issue, and, and I just don't, it's just not possible to have depth of knowledge in every single one of those domains, I still need to answer that question. That's the expectation on me anyways until it changes. So how do I, how do I escape, <laughs> you know, uh, the boundaries of, of, of my limitations grounded where I am and, and be able to access the knowledge that the information or whatever it is that, that this person is needing. Well, and, and they, I mean, that's, that's part of their job is they don't know the answer. They've got to, they got to go figure it out. But I mean, they, they spend a tremendous amount of time doing some of that. And I think where I'm going at is something Bruce was talking about. We, we don't expect a lot of, local level impact from the def from the definitions we're talking about. Now we do expect them to be members of teams and we do a lot of that type of stuff. And, um, you know, we want them organizing into multi or county or regional approaches because, because then they, they've got a synergistic effect of others around them. So um, I think where I was going is just the difference between somebody whose position is focused versus somebody whose position is not. Um, 
and, and their challenges that, that, that they have. So yeah. you know, a specialist on campus or a specialist out in the field, you know, we hire people to be cotton specialist or beef cattle specialist or financial management specialist or military specialist. We, we have no specialists that are generalists. They're all focused. Mm -hmm. uh, that drives generalist agents up a wall because every one of them wants that agent to do their stuff. Um, you know, that, that's the, that's the pull in the tug. Um, what's interesting is reading through some of the core stuff is we got a mixture of some people who are more specialized and some people who are very generalized in that, you know, mm -hmm. in that core group. And, and that, that's where, you know, hence the challenge you know, comes from. There's no, there's no one solution to everybody's issue. I don't know. I think I do. I think I need a drink now, but there's nothing here. So I'm close. Um, my, my suggestion with this one is, um, is to nail certain areas. And maybe that's part of your mapping is, I mean, you have an agriculture example, you have a health and nutrition example, you have a youth example, whatever. But for, to use this, I still think you, we've got to go down each one of those veins, talk about some of the evidence and some of the issues. I actually like, Jerry, your example because I was going to tease to say, in your example, I would have had healthy, financial, uh, stable families, whatever, but then I might have milestones as less foreclosures. Um, lower credit rates or more on-time payments, whatever that is, as these milestones. But but where I also was going is it's very very true that I'm my agenda might be to tell you about. Uh, let's talk about your checkbook today, and if I find out you're socially unstable for whatever reason, like need a drink, right now for me maybe, uh, then I have to stop. And and that because you may I may not hear your message about how to balance my checkbook if I if you can't address some of these other peripheral things. So they are intervening variables, so to speak. But, mm -hmm. but back to in this picture, the core really is the financial that you're following through and the evidence and and what is the audiences can all audiences respond this way? Uh, obviously, middle class is different than lower class as well as that rich one percent. I don't know any of those folks, but I'd love to. They own what eighty percent of the world, <laughs> but but that's the context. So the examples—that's where my pitch was. Is I would be it would serve me well if and the examples would not be individual examples, meaning an educator. It, in my mind, it's got to be more of the initiative or at least a major program uh, level. So, so related to this, and, and and because I've heard this from directors, and and so we get you know, a couple of states here, is what I hear is, is and, and I hear Scott, I hear you describe what agents do. They're out in the field and what they do. That seems very different than what I hear from some directors now talking about what extension work is. So like Colorado talks about they're doing much more facilitation, much more those kinds of things and not the kinds of things that, you know, we traditionally think of when we think of of what agents do. So, so I'm just wondering how big an issue is that for us, this kind of divide between the extension systems in, in terms of how we're approaching what we do? I think it's huge. I mean, I think there are so many different models out there today. Like I said earlier, we're still a very grassroots program. We have, we have 251 offices 
in representing 254 counties. And the only three counties that don't have offices, one county only has 43 people in it. So it's not, right. you know, it's not deemed worthy. But, but you take a state like Illinois, or I think, Bruce, you may know more about them, but aren't they like completely regional? Um, they're almost gone. They yeah. have like, like they're down to like 10 specialists now or something. But, but we, <laughs> Illinois is really bad and Wisconsin's headed that way. We're district now. We, we lost county specific. I mean, we have county offices, but we do not have county extension directors anymore. So um, I, later I want to come back for my response to Kevin on facilitation. I want to make sure I didn't squelch this. But, 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 but you know, you got other states. Tennessee is still very similar to us. Florida is still very similar to us. Uh, matter of fact, probably most of it's in the South. Well, North Carolina is that way, and that's what I've heard from directors is like the model in the West is totally different than the yeah. model South. And they would say, we're new and you're old. And I think they're wrong, but I... <laughs> well, and we're all struggling. I mean, the other thing that I hear talking about facilitation, that's, that's an older one. And, and again, I'd love to go down that path a minute, but talk about the web. We don't need direct training anymore. We'll just give them online trainings. And one, we need online trainings, absolutely. But we also need face-to-face. -face. We also need consulting. We need interaction. We need facilitation. You know, so uh, if we one size fits all, we're, we're foolish. And we think we also don't need this true interaction that usually somebody understands this complex piece so that as one starts to learn it, you got, if you will, the master looking at it going, you might want to be thinking about this as you go through this process. So back to facilitation, it's like trainer, training of the trainers as, as far as I'm concerned. The person may count it as an activity if all I'm going to do is describe the facilitation or the training. If they're going to push it forward to say the so what, what happened as a result of that facilitation? Or did the act, who you trained in the training process, did they actually go out and train? And then those folks actually have the kind of desired changes and outcomes, then you could start taking some of the credit. But if we're not going to get evidence through this process and all we want to do is say, I facilitated, I get that all the time, uh, I'm not impressed with it. I mean, I know it's good stuff, but move on. It, it's not impact. So I'd like to float two ideas by you guys, and then I realize, can you guys stay on for 10 more minutes, or is that going past what you've got available? I'm, I'm pushing it. i got to get ready to head to another meeting. you got to get going. All right, so I'm going to mention two things. Maybe they call for a second beer, right, <laughs> a second conversation, maybe with some different people in it. As I've been listening and putting this together with some of my other observations, uh, it sounds like you know, something like the 4-H common measures, if that actually works. And I had a meeting at UNL with Beth and the um, Jesse and the, what's her name, the two J's, um, talking about common measures and what they're piloting this spring, which are common outcome measures that people can pick and insert into their programs so they can aggregate up that impact story, right, across the collective. And I'm wondering if that's a if there'll be more of that coming or if this is an exception for the 4-H. Then well, the other thing, so yeah, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. Well, so that's one. I'd love a conversation about the potential impact of the model of 4-H common measures. The other thing I really like a conversation is about is our, our default 
intervention, let me call it, is an education or training program for the most part. You know, there's consulting and group facilitation and stuff, but a lot of it looks like you know non-formal or informal learning in a group a group setting of some size. And if you look at what's been effective for extension people in other countries through ICT for development work, that's still a very popular model. But there are other things that don't look anything like a class or a course or a training that show good impact. And I'm wondering if we're, I'm, I'm, I'm not hearing a lot of opportunities unless somebody can do it on their own at the grassroots level to try out new approaches like that. And I'm wondering if that's one of our roles as the, one of the innovation sandboxes of the system, if we can promote that kind of experimentation as opposed to going to the default training program mode, if we can explore other forms of services that achieve impact that are that just look different it's, they're not they're not familiar to us they're new territory see I think that's that's interesting that's the strength to me that's the strength of this new model where I where I get a little concerned and you've probably either heard me say it or could see it in my face is that in some ways, I think some of the things we're doing in the extension are reinventing things that are already done at the state level. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. this may not be the case for every state. I mean, I can tell you, don't, don't take this comment wrong, but we can do all the professional development stuff we need for our thousand educators right here. We've got the tools, we've got the resources, we've got the expertise. That, mm -hmm. Not all the states can do that. So I like the idea of if there was a brand new way of providing education, testing that out in a, in a forum like what we're talking about now, um, the, the, the innovative agents and the younger agents are going to jump on that kind of stuff. Half, half of our agents, right at half or a little bit more, are under five years of service. Wow. We're Man. very, very young. Very it's a great opportunity. Young. And you had a big, a big group of people. I remember, what was the number? Was it 100 or something that you were bringing in for training that had just started in the last 18 months? Yeah, we, we're, we have a training in April. We're going to have 115 that are within less than three years. That's that's 20, about tw almost 25% under three years and 50% total under five. So huge. Um, that's a great opportunity. We've we got, we got great opportunities with them yeah. that we may not have with somebody that's got 25 years of tenure unless yeah. they're really innovative. But that, that's, I mean, that's where I'd like to see this focus go is in, in, I'm not trying to reinvent national communities, but communities of practice, local agents don't find a lot of that stuff attractive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's something else to do. We, we haven't enticed them. A lot of our specialists love that kind of stuff because everybody's talking about the same thing. Well, the, lo the, the very local five year or less, that's, they, they don't, that's not cool enough for them. I don't know what is, but it's not. I mean, it's 
Okay, so there's, so there's some further conversation around these solutions for impact that don't look like programs. It might be a useful conversation to have. What, what are your thoughts about the common measures ID? First of all, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. We, Bruce, we've all... You've been helping help make it, right? Well, we've been doing the common measures since 2000, 1999, okay. 2000. 15 years in the making, gee whiz, okay. And, and we still haven't gotten it right, and I'm not sure that this will get it right, because again, you get so much regional differences in regional implementation and local implementation that mm. 4-H is one thing, and some health issues are one thing, but you get in agriculture, we, we have, you know, like I said earlier, 15 different approaches in water in the state because of Difference. So the common measures are real hard around some ag issues. Yeah. Cool. All right. This has been such a really good conversation. It's about 4:20, and everybody's got to go. Jerry, I got to thank you for being the catalyst to bring together some of these concepts and your diagrams that I think formed a really um, productive base for a conversation today. Thank I do you. wish. Yeah, I do wish we were co-located and could do it over a drink. But maybe, uh, maybe and if we're all in San Antonio in March, we can continue this. Uh, any closing comments before we end our session? Well, just that, that thanks for, I mean, I've, I've really grown to really appreciate that Slack space that we're in. Um, you know, the, just the opportunity to, to kind of bump minds and have these conversations has been really uh kind of rewarding is the right word but it's good stuff <laughs> and it feeds my process my own learning and I uh, just want to appreciate that you know everyone took the time today to take it this far to have this conversation because this is from each of you kind of speaking to this I mean I'm, again I'm filling in my perspective of this larger thing that we're kind of wrestling with and I'm a small piece of uh, but it's kind of really filled in my understanding quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Kevin or Scott or Bruce, any closing words? I don't like closing words. I'll wait for the next time. <laughs> Opening words for the next time. Just say I agree okay. with Jerry. It's been a stimulating conversation, and if we don't have these conversations, no one else will. <laughs> right, I'll be sharing the recording on my uh, CEO channel, and I'll also be following up because I think we have the seeds for a couple of follow-on conversations we can invite other people to. Thank you all. Thank you, Bruce. Thanks. Thank you, Scott, Kevin, Jerry. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks, all. Take care. Have a good one. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs>